0: This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative, and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico, and I'm joined by my co-host Sam, and today is our third episode in our adventure into the world of anti-racism, racism, racism, people of color, and so on. Sam and I have just finished the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, written by Ibram X. Kendi. And in this book, Ibram X. Kendi, one of the U.S.'s most respected scholars of race and history, steps away from documenting the racist sins of others and turns the lens uncomfortably at himself. His argument is simple. An idea, action or policy is either racist, that is contributing to a history that regards and treats different races as inherently unequal, or it is anti-racist, because it is trying to dismantle that history. There is nothing in between. There is no pure state of racism or anti-racism. People of all races and backgrounds can fall into either category depending on their ideas, actions or the policies they support. And so in the book, the author goes more in depth on racism and power structures, ethnicity, culture, behavior, class, color, gender, sexuality, and ethnicity. So he goes into a wide variety of subjects. So Sam, how did you enjoy the book?
0: I didn't really enjoy the book that much,
1: mm-hmm.
0: if I'm honest. I, I kind of feel like most of its good press is just from people that haven't read it and have just sort of read the title and think, oh, this is great. And I've heard other people saying good things about it and just kind of write to agree with the general thoughts of the population rather than the specifics of the book. As in, I feel the book could be rewritten, covering all of the main points he's trying to make in a really good way, because if I agree with all of the points that he's making and what comes up in the book, and I think it's it's a great idea of it, and he's he's a really great thinker i've listened to some of his podcasts where he talks about the stuff he's thinking about you're like oh yeah this is awesome and this is what we should be thinking about but then he kind of just wrote the book in in a confusing way and you you start with like kenny's argument it was brilliantly simple except for his book was not simple it was yeah it was kind of annoying um to read it felt a bit like those murder mysteries where sort of you kind of think something is one way the whole time until at the end they reveal it's the opposite way. And he's kind of spends the entire book explaining racist ideas and at the end explaining why they're not racism very quickly. Like, is an afterthought. He, sort of, he doesn't really put that much effort into the anti-racist version. But as in, I'll explain that a bit more. He, sort of, he kind of goes from like why black people can be racist as well by thinking sort of overthinking about race and thinking it's all white people's fault entirely. And it sort of feels like maybe he still thinks that or something the way he's written it, because if he's kind of constantly sort of blaming white people the whole time for everything, and then be like, oh, well, maybe it's not quite like this, and it's probably you need to think about it this way, but like he really just puts it in as an afterthought each time in the chapter, and you like you spend the whole chapter listening to him explaining why it's hundred percent always not their fault. In that, like, yeah, it was it was a bit of a confusing book in that sense, and I felt like it could have just been a bit more a better way of information getting into your brain could have been done, Mm. basically.
1: Yeah, I agree. But I think from my perspective, quite a lot of these books are someone who's saying like, "Ah, I'm superior, I'm morally superior, because I'm not a racist, and you probably are. And this is the way you like real anti-racist people think. And this is the correct way. And so I feel like a lot of talking about this this stuff is, is you know maybe people of color who are discussing racism and saying like if you're white you cannot know how I feel and like it feels pretty annoying um, if you're white because you feel guilty and like because of your skin color you cannot be like really feel what it is and you cannot really be anti-racist anti-racist yeah, yeah. or not racist. And so what he did in this book is actually he he looked at himself and he said okay in these 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 and these kinds of ways. I used to be a racist, and I'm still—I still am racist. And so I agree that it makes it less easy to follow the the reasoning and to get the points because he's talking about the way he did things wrong, and then there's not a clear path into uh, this is the correct way of thinking. Right? I, I think that's mm. the point you're making, and then, but it does make it more comfortable to listen to because you're like, ah, yeah, okay, I can see that if, if you're wrong about something and you're to admit it, it makes it easier for people to agree when you're saying, okay, I used to think this way, but after a lot of uh, introspection, I started thinking the correct way. And I think it makes it more accessible to people to follow what you're saying.
0: Mm, yeah. I, I sort of agree. I think it was super valuable to get those insights and some of those things, like I don't think I'll really ever forget, like the example where he talks about, sort of the days where he kind of became convinced that white people were aliens and mm. that they'd come down to sort of like oppressed black people stuff. And just like, wow, how can like someone even have that in their head? Like, holy crap, it must be sort of such a weird place to be in thinking that people are that way, just because of like the way that your environment has been and like how oppressed you felt is that these people just need a completely different, like planet just to sort of think of you in, in that way. So that was really interesting. But I guess we we've read like another book, Saint Augustine, who sort of spoke about this is back in like three hundred BC. He no, AD mm. even. Where he sort of talks about all of the different religions that he kind of followed through time before he ended up reaching sort of the one that he settled on, and he kind of explains it in a bit more of a transparent way of the philosophy of the different religion compared to the right one, mm. and sort of breaks it down in a very sort of correct format even though you know that he was convinced of the thing at the time and i feel like that was like a better way of packaging it and that but but kind of resulted in the proliferation of sort of catholicism and stuff and was one of the huge reasons why like it's so big today and i feel like he could have done it a bit more in that style <laughs> um hmm. rather than what he did and still like outlined like the arguments and given the insight into how he was thinking hmm. so yeah either way it's still very useful information that's in there and worth reading. Yeah. And I was just a bit confused sometimes if it was like, am I being racist for thinking that he's thinking the wrong thing? Oh, right. He's thinking the same thing as me. I just didn't <laughs> realize it. And I'm like, am I being challenged because I'm like uncomfortable reading this? I, I just, <laughs> it just made it a bit confusing. Yeah. And yeah. And also I think I was, I, I didn't like the way he set it up because he talks about two things. One is his initial speech of being kind of racist in like oppressing his other black people, where he's trying to sort of he does a speech that's supposed to be anti-racist, but he feels actually that it's racist because he draws too many lines and sort of tries to incite a bit more hate and sort of puts people down, whether they're black or not. And he sort of talks about this being the wrong way, but then he also declares the whole you're either racist or anti-racist but he goes very far and sort of declares it like a war and i feel like drawing lines and sort of making people feel like they have to choose is quite upfront and sort of offensive when you're not ready for it and i feel like he sort of is a bit too much in your face almost like too quickly and mm-hmm. if this was the first book you read on like how to think about racism you probably would just sort of put it down and be like what the f- is this guy going on about mm. and like i don't think it would be very helpful <laughs> mm-hmm. if you're a white person to read this as the first mm-hmm. book and uh, so yeah i felt like he was very confrontational from the start which then sort of had me thinking that he was sort of being a bit over the top the whole time because he just put that lens in my in my mind
1: yeah i think one last point of commentary i have is on um, the audiobook itself so uh, there's like Audiobooks can either be read by someone who is a professional audiobook reader, mm. or um, they can be read by the author themselves. And so sometimes if it's read by the author themselves, it's it can be pretty good. So for example, 12 Rules for Life written by Jordan Peterson is read by himself. And so there's one chapter where Jordan Peterson is like almost like in tears and you can hear it. And he's like getting very emotional. And I found it very strong there. And so in this book, the author also puts quite a lot of emotion in what he says. And so I actually, in this case, it was the first time where it really bothered me after a while because yeah. he was like, he was getting like angry-ish about some things that happened. And he so he was talking very um, emotionally, but it was like, it got me on edge, but it was so long. So it was like 15 minutes of him speaking in like an, a higher, like a louder voice. And it, yeah. I was like, I was really getting nervous. I was like listening yeah, to it. and yeah, I, I felt my, my, my jaw clenching because it was like it's really uncomfortable listening to to someone who's like, Yeah, I don't know. I, I I it was the first time where it bothered me where someone was like reading the book in a certain way. Yeah, um, yeah. In gen- somehow, I mean but
0: in general like, the style of the way he spoke wasn't it didn't flow very nicely. No, it's <laughs> no. like just like just speak the words like a bit more like yeah, fluid, like, yeah, fluidly or something.
1: He's, he's a better writer like, than a speaker. Yeah, yeah. So maybe so the yeah, book is, bit, is better yeah. read than listened to.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's kind of what made me feel a bit like he still believed in the wrong views, because if he sounded quite like caught up and it's like, oh, this is so annoying, and you're like, you sound like you're still quite annoyed by this, and that you believe this, <laughs> hmm. rather than... Yeah. So, I don't think his audio was was helpful. I agree. All
1: right. Now let's get into the context. Of the yeah. <laughs> yes. No, no, now reverse spent
0: the whole time being like, like, actually, let's talk about the good points because it's yeah. full of good
1: points. So w- one thing I found eye-opening. So in the other books um, that we read, so White Fragility and Why I No Longer Talk to White People About Race, they basically said that all white people are <laughs> racist. And I'm being too, too, uh, too strict here, but they said all white people are racist and black people cannot be racist. And here mm. he said that black people can absolutely be racist too, and he used to be a racist himself. And so basically, he he talked about the, uh, at some point. You know, he was studying, he was at the university, and he was thinking badly about the the poor black people in poor neighborhoods uh, across America. And he used the term "them" and then the N-word, which I won't pronounce, but he did in the book. And so, it's quite true that. You don't realize it, but from the moment that a black person feels like they are above other black people and they look down on the other black people because they haven't achieved you know the the advancement in life as they did or they didn't get ahead like 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 they did. And he says that that's actually racist, too. And I found it pretty interesting. and I think i I, I have to agree with with his point of view where anyone can be racist if they think in 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 that way,
0: mm sure. So, it's the very obvious cases of racism where people kind of just fully like put down like black people, where like you've, there's been cases of people that have sort of joined in on the white side. But like mm-hmm. I think the more sort of nuanced version where you just feel more educated and you sort of still like look back as like where you came from as a bit of a sort of a group that's sort of isn't as worthy mm-hmm. is interesting. But it does go, yeah, more deep into kind of culture and classes that sort of dictated stuff and it's not so much whether your skin color is such, but sort of where your status is. And it generally happens that like your skin color means that your status is more lower and mm-hmm. it's like the same way as in as black people who are kind of very high in class and status who look down on white people. And so it still can sort of happen in that sense it's Mm -hmm. yeah it's just like it's a bit more confusing and it's not necessarily always down to skin color why sort of this thing's happened but race is like an an easier way to put like a guideline around it even though it's not necessarily the thing that's causing it as such and yeah it's like an interesting point to explore
1: Mm -hmm. yes and so in the book the author calls policies that increase racial disparities racist and policies that reduce disparities anti-racist and so a few examples so affirmative action policies in college admissions for example if they're designed to increase the enrollment of students of color he, he sees them as anti-racist but for example working to repeal the affordable care act obamacare is racist because doing so would increase racial disparities in healthcare. another example is do nothing climate policy so I think the conservatives in the U.S. are, are the one that supports that, and it, it, he considers it racist policy because the predominantly non-white global South is victimized more by climate change than the global North, which is more white. Yeah, definitely. And so th- I found these these good examples, and mm. so yeah, for me, I, I was convinced by his arguments uh, on these points.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with those things, but I also, s- as in, I still don't like saying that everything is one way or another. I just don't think that sort of overwhelming statements like that are usually true and sort of when you think about laws okay so is it racist to say you have to wear a seat belt i don't am not sure if that is if the enforcement of the law means that more black people get pulled over because they aren't wearing a seat belt and like other things happen yeah that's sort of racism at like a lower level but the actual overall aim of it i don't think is racist as such it's there to protect society like regardless of color and i'm not sure how that can be a racist policy exactly
1: where do you get this example from? Is this from you?
0: That was just me thinking of a thing because if he says that every policy is racist or not, or anti-racist. Yeah. And I'm saying I don't well, think yeah. having to wear a seatbelt is anti-racist, but I don't think it's racist either.
1: No, I agree. Yeah. I think there's absolutely policies which are not racist or anti-racist, you know? Uh, um, yeah. Although I think if you do your best, you with almost all policies, you might be able to find a way in which it treats different races differently. Especially, yeah, those. yeah,
0: sure. Like I was just uh, yeah, said as, like if it means that more black people get pulled over because if they're looking for excuses to pull someone over and they see a black guy and he's not yeah. wearing a seatbelt, then yeah, end up being racist. And Same with taxes that could easily become like racist if it sort of more uh, makes things worse for a certain parts of society and stuff. Like yeah. I think many of the things have like a flavor of racism or could be quite racist where you Mm -hmm. don't think they are, but there's still things that had no intention of being racist and aren't really racist. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess they could be more anti-racist if there was like some quotas around how it worked. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, it's true. I think Mm. one of the, um, most important parts that I came to realize. Um, and it's not only from this book, actually. It's also, I, I watched the, the Netflix uh, movie slash documentary called The 13th. Have you seen it by any chance? No. Nope. It's about the ter- 13th Amendment. And basically it looks at racism and uh, criminality and prisons, prisons in the US over over the, mm-hmm. like the, the history of it. And I actually came to a new realization. So, I think I've expressed this on the podcast as well. I, I used to think that the cause, the underlying cause of racism was some kind of xenophobia from humans who mm. prefer people uh, that look like them over people that do not look like them. And that is the main cause why there's so much racism is and and it might be a case against multiculturalism where two people of different or two groups of different skin colors will never be able to live together in perfect harmony. However, in this book, the author makes a case that the cause of racism is actually capitalism, where some kind of elite needs, like one group of the society to have like cheap labor and to to use those to, you know, to gain more themselves. And so in the book, it is expressed, uh, for example, in slavery. So it could be that America, would have never been as rich as it is, as it is now without slavery and in later years actually if you look at the 20th century and all the the war against crime by Nixon and Reagan and and, and this comes not from the book but from the series the the, the, the 13th the documentary they actually say that the prison population, was inflated because they said that drugs was such a problem while it actually it wasn't really a problem. Well, it's debatable, but anyway, it was perceived as much more of a problem because of these politicians and a lot of more people got put in jail and they were, they're now being used as very cheap labor. So, mm. and so there it could be that again, it's, it's the politicians um, put more people in prison. So more people in prison can work in the factories of the rich people that support the politicians. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. Wow. And then a, f- a final point also, I think that might uh, be like an underlying cause of so much racism is like to get in power. Like you in your society, you ha- you always have to find like a bad person or like a, ba- a bad group and you inflate um, the perception of how bad or dangerous they are. And I think that's what mm. happened in the late, like the last uh, decades of the 20th century where for example, Nixon said that. Uh, cr- crime is is going to be the end of america and drugs are going to be the end of you know young people and the whole country is going to go um to to hell because of all the overconsumption of drugs and that in that way they could find like targets a victim and people were scared and that's why they voted for him because they were scared and he was going to save them from hmm. from damnation basically
0: yeah when you think about it it's, sort of, it's like some of the things that trump says and stuff isn't it? it's just sort of Trying to make people sound worse and scarier than they are.
1: Exactly, exactly. So politics is is built more and more about around fear, and I think that without capitalism and and the whole political system in the US, I think racism would have wouldn't have been that bad.
0: Mm, yeah, sure, hundred percent. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. But yeah, the overall it's sort of downfall from capitalism is definitely the thing because I think as in. There's still some xenophobia, perhaps, if you've grown up in that kind of environment. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
0: But it's not natural in terms of you don't see colour straight away from like when you're first born. You just, but you do notice differences from what you're used to as you get older. Mm -hmm. But like it wouldn't be a thing you'd necessarily notice straight up. But it does make it easier to see like who is part of your in group and out group when you're older, which. Camera on that, but if you were to be born where you're just sort of surrounded by like different colors, you wouldn't really ever notice that as a thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But
0: you would notice like people that are dressed differently and look like they should be living on a street or something and not think that they should deserve as much as you, perhaps.
1: Yeah, but I, I yeah, for me, the, the biggest takeaway was that I, I used to believe that racism is, is natural, mm. but now I believe that it's actually like people decided. Like it's because of like, yeah, capitalism and it is it is born out of profitability and utility basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. But as in by the end of this book, I was definitely feeling like, <laughs> I, sort of, I didn't feel like he was the one telling me, but I felt like basically this is just a big argument for like communism and, and just <laughs> complete equality at every level. Because otherwise I just don't see how you can really reach this. Because even if you don't care about color, like the point is just, People are classist and people are going to know the people that they know who are going to be more rich and they're always just going to get richer and richer and they're going to have all the things and they're always going to sort of oppress people a bit regardless of the color side of things. It's just humans are shit and we're going to be Mm -hmm. selfish and always want things. And yeah, so it's never going to work whilst we have like capitalism in a complete sort of pure form without some way of making things fair. Then it gets confusing of at what point doesn't do you then sort of just let anyone do a job regardless of like their like qualification and things, if you just have to be completely fair on things, like I just it starts getting confusing if you mm-hmm. to sort of say that everyone deserves to have the same thing, but like they can't be doing the same things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they can't have the same levels of skills and intelligence and stuff. And so it's kind of awkward.
1: Yeah, I agree. I um I think the whole discussion is about equality of opportunity, equality of outcome. If a certain group in society has more difficulties getting to the same outcome, should you grant them some advantages in opportunities or not? I think this is where the liberals um, are opposed to the, the the conservatives. So yeah, I think that's that's a discussion that go- that's going on in, in every country and in every society. But I felt that, and I think he, he lost me a bit there. Like he lost some credibility for my part there. Like he was clearly a, like a socialist or a Marxist. So he was mm. in his book. Um, he decided that he talks in in one chapter about Marxism and how well capitalism lies at the basis of racism. And so I, I must say I agree, uh, but I also believe that the current problems in the U.S. are caused by unbridled capitalism. So unlimited capitalism. If if you don't if you if you just let uh, a country be led by uh, human greed. And human self-interest, mm. there's going to be elites taking advantage of poorer people, of, of, of other people. And I think that's what we can see in the US now. However, I feel like in Western Europe, for example, we have found a better way of combining capitalism and more socialist policies.
0: Mm. So I,
1: I'm I'm myself consider myself a capitalist, but I mean this made me realize that there's quite some issues with capitalism. If you just let um, societies be Um, led by human greed and and be advanced by by human greed you're going to run into some issues and i think uh, the u.s is a good example of that what's happening today what has been happening there in the past shows that capitalism in itself is not perfect and you need to you know take care of people in in a certain way because otherwise the the strong are going to take advantage of the of the of the well the powerful are going to take advantage of the non-powerful
0: right and you have things like kind of network marketing and py- pyramid schemes where some people sort of argue that like when yes. people are dumb enough to give you their money then like they deserve to not have it yes and that sort of just seems completely wrong <laughs> and even though if they are like giving you the money out of greed sometimes mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get more and it, yeah, it, gets, it gets like a confusing thing but yeah it just that is like the worst case of capitalism of people sort of <laughs> but that's kind of like it feels like there's a sort of diagram of like, okay, what is going on in the long runs and people are sort of creating needs and wants and people who are sort of less able than them that perhaps they don't actually need and taking money from them for stuff that isn't actually that useful for their life mm-hmm. instead of the same as convincing someone that they're going to get money for something they don't get money from and just taking it from them in some ways. Yeah. Which just could happen at all without Well, with like a communist sort of state, but I think it's gonna it could be interesting. As in, like I really enjoyed um, going into Plato's uh, book in the philosophy section on how to run a society, the uh, Republic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think we should definitely read like uh, the Communist Manifesto and some of the other like capitalist books and stuff, Mm -hmm. and sort of go deeper into this whole subject.
1: Agreed. Is that before or after we uh, do the episode where we design our ultimate utopia?
0: I guess it would kind of help, probably.
1: Yeah, it probably will. Yeah. 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 Agreed.
0: Good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I think uh, one final point from my side is that in the current discussion, so in the US, uh, it's... it's, it's going down right now but in the past weeks we've had huge discussions on uh, police violence uh, and police racism systemic racism etc and some of the counter arguments were that if you look at the numbers in the in the US and Sam Harris talked about this in in the podcast episode that I found
0: the other Sam Harris yeah
1: yeah, sorry a more
0: famous podcaster than me just to be clear (laughs) just for now
1: by the way just for now yeah, for now. anyway um, so he talked about this in his episode on, on racism he said that black people Gets shot more by um, black or Latinx cops than by white cops, relatively speaking.
0: Mm. And even and, more so by other black people.
1: Exactly, yeah. But for me, actually... I've realized that this still doesn't disprove that there is systemic racism because the case was made in this book that black people can be racist too. And so there I would say that black cops can also be racist. And so it can still be that if a black cop shoots a black person, that can still be a proof for systemic racism within the the police force. I'm not saying that that it is, but I'm I'm just saying that the fact that black people within the police force shoot other black people doesn't disprove that there is systemic racism there.
0: Yeah, it was a really interesting episode. I think it would be great to have all of the statistics that he used for that yes. in front of us to go through Yes. otherwise we can kind of just allude some of the things that he was pointing out but he he certainly had a, had some very big balls to do the episode that he did where he kind of just points out like oh, lots of the flaws with the sort of argument
2: mm-hmm.
0: of anti-racism as it is although he is trying to seek like an anti-racist place but just sort of saying that how it's been going is wrong and that people are using very sort of false statistics and I think it kind of goes into the things in this book where Kenny talks about he's always, he just seems to permanently have this lens on that, like, it's always white people's fault and is very racist, but still sort of sees other black people as not helping it and things. And I think it was just interesting to see just how fixed that lens was in his mind. Like, he's just always searching for a reason for it to be white people's fault um, mm-hmm. when he was younger. And that sort of gives you bad science, You don't look at the data properly and you kind of every video you see of a black guy being killed by a police, you immediately go, right, police is a racist, even though mm-hmm. there's actually three times as many white people being killed by police. But you just don't look at any of those videos and you don't think about race at that point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, people just sort of have something in their frame of mind and then just seek everything to confirm it. Mm-hmm. Like you know, the whole confirmation bias thing. Mm-hmm. And they don't actually really look for truth as such. And this is a certainly quite a large problem, which we sort of have, but he then goes into sort of saying that actually to be anti-racist, we need to stop talking about it. And which is the opposite of Kendi. Who's who's saying like, okay, you are either racist or you're anti-racist and you have to like, it's like war, you have to be on one side of the line or the other. And Sam Harris is like, well, imagine that like we had no concept of color, but maybe you had sort of this thing, like this earring system. And if you had like this really big earring, that means like you're the top of the elite or you had this really small earring. You're just going to be like a slave and useless. And at one point we suddenly realized that this is just like a bonkers thing, like by what earring you happen to have. And we decided that like, this shouldn't be a thing, but it was really weird to talk about it. And like, it's constant taboo and people are constantly debating it. And you're just like, why don't we just stop thinking about it? Just like remove earrings and just be like, yeah, whatever. So it's fair. Like, actually like talk about it and writing about earrings it's probably just going to like make us think about earrings more and we just shouldn't even be thinking about this thing that isn't even a thing And we're talking about this thing that isn't a thing like it isn't a thing but it is a thing because we're talking about it as a thing and instead of being like guys stop like <laughs> talking in such a big thought so it was kind of funny to think of it like that
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's true I, th- I, I like this point, points and I have the impression that um, my social group is very mm-hmm. leftist and will also is always like very anti-racist. And so the, the, the past three books that we read were from like the, the left side of the political spectrum. So the, the ones that say, okay, there is systemic racism and we need to find a solution. And most of it's the fault of white people. And so I'm actually interested to now, goes into the literature of some of like the, the other side of the spectrum. So there's mm-hmm. some, um, some authors, for example, I, I found a guy who is called Coleman Hughes, Coleman Hughes, and he uh, was referenced by Sam Harris in his episode. Um, and he's a black person uh, who says that he doesn't believe that there's systemic racism. And, and so he, he goes into a lot of reasons why, et cetera. And so I, I'm actually interested. Um, and I suggest that we, as a next book, choose one of the books on the other side of the spectrum to, to get some more perspective. Because there's no absolute truth, I think, in this. And we'll have to make up our mm. minds, I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's certainly something I learned from being a scientist was how easy it is to read things that agree with how you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, oh, I need to be less racist and I must be racist, and you only read things that confirm that, then obviously that's sort of where you end up thinking. And So it's good to like actually like explore what you're thinking <laughs> rather than just finding everything that confirms it. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. Yes, 100%. Right. Sounds good.
1: Let's do some uh, review and key takeaways.
0: I think I kind of started with, <laughs> with how I feel about it. So, <laughs> As in, I feel that it's really important stuff and it's really useful to see how someone thinks in these ways. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think that he wrote it in the best way. Mm-hmm. And it could be better. And I certainly wouldn't recommend it to people mm-hmm. as a book to go and read necessarily. I would, I would point them to like podcasts of him or mm-hmm. some of like <laughs> the book summary <laughs> perhaps mm-hmm. listen to and like to get the points. Otherwise, I think there's other books which give you i didn't feel like this gave you tools to be anti racist and I, I i guess i felt a bit cheated also because <laughs> i read a note some like summary on this book where it had like six sort of very clear simple points that one needs to take home about how to be less of a, a racist and i thought this was going to be like a guided sort of like path of like okay point one how to sort of not be anti-racist and then like, okay point two and that, this is the next mm-hmm. element you need to work on mm-hmm. to be not anti-racist i thought it was mm-hmm. going to be very clear and structured and like a, a how-to manual and to not be being racist
2: mm-hmm. just
0: just because i was kind of ready for that having mm-hmm. like read lots of other books telling me how racist that was i was ready for a manual to just not be racist and this was not that at all. <laughs> so uh, yeah fully agree yeah i felt yeah. a bit missold
1: yeah. <laughs> no it's true it's it's like right now after reading it i wouldn't be able to say Okay this this is what you, i have to do now to be less or to be more of an anti racist.
0: Yeah yeah. Like, I feel it, like it's more useful perhaps if you're black and you okay. have a lot of thoughts in around this area to see like how yeah some of them might be wrong from like what he was thinking. And it's certainly useful as a white person to see how people were thinking these things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. But I still think it could have been no matter.
1: Yeah. So, so yes. score
0: Yeah, I'm going to say like a two.
1: Okay. right. And any specific key takeaways?
0: I think I'm always going to remember the section where he thought like white people were aliens Mm -hmm. just because that was like really interesting. (laughs) And this really shows how much things can get into people's brains. (laughs) And I think I'm going to always remember how annoyed I was with him saying you always have to be racist or anti-racist. Kind of the opposite of what Sam Harris was saying the other Sam Harris. And so these are the two things that I think I'll always remember from this book. Um, and I think the general feeling of that capitalism has just got some inherently hugely bad things and that we need to sort of have a more communist, fair way of doing things to really deal with stuff. Because <laughs> otherwise, it's, it's not really ever going to get solved. Whether this is even if like the race thing becomes solved, it would still mm, be something the else. same problem.
1: Yeah. Agreed. So yeah, those Agreed. are the main
0: things that I'm going to remember.
1: Cool. So from my point of view, so I, I, it's true, I agree with you. Like I didn't really, I don't have an answer to how to be an anti-racist. Like I, I wouldn't know how to do it from like now, but it did give me some valuable insights. I didn't lo- like the way it was written. I didn't like the way it was read. So I'm going to give it a four. Because it did like I feel like I'm I'm understanding more and more like racism and all the problems involved and and what lies at the basis of it. And so for me the the main takeaway is especially the part where racism doesn't necessarily come from human nature, but it could be that it is systemic and comes from the way societies are led, where you have to have one part of the population who is either used for cheap labor or is uh, used as a target. So people become scared. So they vote for the person who is going to act upon that fear. So that's, mm. that's my, my biggest insight from this, which also came from another series I've watched. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that. <laughs>
0: completely different. <laughs> <rather than me.
1: laughs> anyway. All right. I think uh, that rounds of the episode. So for the next book, bu- next book, we're going to try and read one, which is more conservative, but we don't know which one. So until then, I guess, uh, Good story, yeah. <laughs> you'll have to see. So, uh, thanks for listening and uh, see you next week. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. As you know, we are doing this to try and help you get smarter. Well, I have another project for podcast listeners just like you who want to be smart. Nico and I learned so much from reading the same things together and discussing them, and I wanted there to be a tool that made it easy for anyone to listen to the same podcasts and books together with their friends. So I'm building the app Syncify, which does just that. It connects you with your friends in the app, listen to the same things at the same time. Or create shared playlists and work through them at your own pace. You can share comments and highlights of your favourite bits. And become smarter by seeing what your friends think around the same content that you enjoy. As a bonus, it also helps with your mental health and reduces isolation. Personally, I hate publishing my life on social media, which I find all rather anti-social. And I don't go out of my way to phone a friend for no reason other than the fact I feel lonely. But I do love doing things with other people. And having my friends listen to the same things is is really awesome. I mean, I used to speak to Nico like once a year before we started this book club together. And now we talk all the time because we're just doing something together. So do yourself a favour and sign up for the Syncify app at... Syncifyapp.com and I really hope it helps thanks a lot for listening if you enjoyed the show or learned anything new be sure to share it with your friends and I just can't tell you how great it is if you were to happen to leave a review on iTunes these really do help quite a lot if you have any questions or books that you'd like us to read feel free to reach out to us through the website wiserpod.com or reach out to us on LinkedIn. And just keep loving and keep learning and ideally keep listening. Big love from Sam and Nico and the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast.